0: Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. For the past few weeks, I have been speaking to you on certain subjects, and the titles of my messages or my conversations with you have been in the form of questions. For example, just to remind you, last week we spoke on the question, is there a river in me? Uh, so uh, those of you who are here may remember we were focusing our attention on, uh, uh, on the fact that Jesus said that from within us would flow a, a river of living water. And of course, speaking of the Holy Spirit. And so we challenged ourselves last week to look introspectively into our own hearts and say, is there a river in me? We spoke about the characteristics of that river and how it moves things and how when you have a rushing river, nothing stops it. But whatever is in the middle of that river, it's pushed aside until it clears up. And we talked about the effects of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how if we allow it to flow deep within us and let it rush through us as Jesus wants it to, it'll clean away things that are in the river of our hearts which is, I believe, the ultimate goal and desire of every believer in Christ. We spoke of how noisy a river can be, how it has a voice, and what causes the voices, the crashings of the waves, and how it hits against the banks, and all these things, and how God has given us a voice through the voice of the Holy Spirit to be able to reach the lost and those without hope. And so that was the question that we faced last week. This morning, I want to speak to you more on a statement, I guess, The title of my message I've titled is, My Trust is in the Lord. But there's a challenge behind that particular statement that I want to bring to all of us for consideration this morning. When we say, my trust is in the Lord, have you ever stopped yourself to listen to what you are saying, to what you are declaring in regards to your relationship with God? It's a common thing for us as believers when we talk to each other. uh, It's a common thing to say, how are you doing, brother? Or you express some kind of need or concern. And uh, we say, yeah, but I'm trusting in God. It's quick. It's a quick response. After all, it is the proper thing to say if you're a believer. Just like when you walk uh, inside the church, you see somebody go, hey. And the first thing you say is, God bless you. And we throw out God bless you like Hello? But we know that words are important in Scripture and words are important to God and words should be important to us. And so when we say, God bless you, to someone, have we stopped for a moment to examine ourselves to see if we really meant what we said, that God bless you, are you really going to take time to say, Lord, bless this man, bless this woman, bless this family? Well, in the same fashion, when you say, I trust in God... And it flippantly sometimes, trivially comes out of your mouth over any situation you may be going through. I trust in God. Have you ever stopped to weigh and to measure the importance of that reference of trust in your relationship with God? That is the question of this hour this morning. I want us to look at the subject a little closer today if we can and in hopes as we do uh, enrich our lives to take us to that place where God wants us to be when it comes to truly trusting in him. Would you put your hand over your heart this morning as we pray together? Father, in the name of Jesus, we worship you. We thank you for this time of worship and praise you allowed us to have. Thank you for the privilege and the honor of allowing us to make mention of your name and song, Father. Lord, I pray that we were able to lift unto you an instance of worship that is agreeable to your heart. Now, Father, as we get into your word, we surrender our hearts to you. We open wide the gates of our hearts, Father, that you, O Holy Spirit, might come to speak truth into my life. And that which is of you, Lord, I pray, would come to sear and to burn deep within the files of my heart in the deepest way. And give me the life, Lord, that you desire so much for me to live in you, that abundant life. The life of joy and peace. Salvation, Father God, and promise. All these things we ask as we receive your word and receive your son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. My trust is in the Lord. Surely when we make such a declaration, it's important for us to understand that we can't make such a declaration like that flippantly without consideration of what it is. Why? One important reason I can tell you, one, some people, people will listen to you. And obviously they gauge your life because they know if you really trust in God or not. We're, you know, we're not necessarily a judgmental people, but even the Bible says you judge righteously. You, you know if this person really, when he says, do I trust in God, do they really? And secondly, and more importantly, God hears that. He hears that conversation. How are you doing? This is going this way, but I trust in God. And God listens to that. And God is a discerner of attitudes and and, and purposes and the demeanor and all these things of what we say. He, He defines those things. Does he mean what he is saying? And so it's important for us as believers not to say things like that just superficially. It's important for us to speak with full consciousness of this position with understanding and seriousness After all, you and I know, ladies and gentlemen, if not, we should know that trust in the Lord is the basis of our whole existence and relationship with God. When it comes to salvation, you trust in God, you're saved because you trust God in Him saying you are saved. I was telling the church this morning of a testimony I heard years ago but it's ever so present because it meant so much to me because I've wrestled that way at times and I'm sure maybe one of you here has done the same. I don't know how many of you remember R.W. Schambach. Anybody remember R.W. Schambach? A great preacher. Amen. One of the Pentecostal preachers that I mean, hey, he was on there and I used to enjoy. When I was young. I used to enjoy the way he opened and closed the sermon. He always say Reminding you today, you don't have any problems. All you need is God. And he'd close. He'd finish his sermon or his broadcast and he'd say, God bless you all until next time. And he'd give the hour reminding you, you don't have any problems. All you need is God. Well, that very man gave a testimony of when he got saved. And I'll briefly take you through it for just for the sake of time. I'll go quick. He says and how he was walking down the streets of New York that one day many, many years ago when he got saved. And he confesses himself to be the captain of sinners. He was an alcoholic and all these other things that he said he did by his own uh, uh, testimony. But he said he was walking down the boardwalk uh, uh, in a New York street and in a storefront there was a little church that had been established there, a little Pentecostal church. And as he walked by, he heard the pastor kind of just like me screaming into the people's ears. And it caught his attention. He looked inside. There was some few people sitting there. And at the very front and top of the podium was a pastor preaching to them about Jesus. And it attracted him. So he walked inside. And he said that that meeting was for him obviously. Because as soon as the pastor began to preach. He felt things begin to happen deep within him. The word began to impact his life and he began to melt away if you would in who he was and even he said and if i was in any way uh uh, 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 under the effect of alcohol i was sobered everything went away i was absolutely conscious in the presence of that pastor and that congregation well at the closing he obviously made a a, uh, invitation for salvation and he ran to the altar and gave his life to the lord and though then there he was saved so the greatest moment, I felt everything fly off of me. All the weight of the world got off of me. I was delivered from every sin. I felt the forgiveness of God. I was a new man. And then the service was over and hugged everybody. He was excited with this new life he was walking out with. And as he was walking out the door, there was something in his ear that whispered to him, Saved? You're saved? Ha, ha, ha. Sure you are saved, Mr. Alcoholic, Mr. Drug Addict, Mr. This or the other, whatever he was, you're saved. And he heard that voice audibly, and it convicted his heart somehow. It made him feel dirty. So he turned around and ran inside the storefront again and went and found the pastor. He said, Pastor, I don't think I'm really saved. So the pastor prayed for him again. He said, And I got saved again the second time. And to make a long story short, he did this four or five times. Every time he went back, he'd walk inside say, I keep hearing I'm not saved. It's not true. What happened? And until the pastor told him, listen, you're saved. And he gave him, took him down the Roman road and told him about confessing his sins before the Lord and how he is faithful and just to forgive him and cleanse him from all unrighteousness. He said, now you have to have confidence in what God has said. You have to believe what he said. That way you can walk in your salvation with confidence in the Lord because he said it. You see, our salvation, ladies and gentlemen, is standing on the foundation of our confidence in God. I can tell you this this morning that if we truly had confidence in the Lord, in everything that we do, we'd be living, living different lives. Many of us. But salvation, healing, your healing is standing and, uh, on the foundation of your confidence in the Lord. I, I spoke to uh, Sister Eva, one of our beloved members here. Her brother is in the hospital suffering with a liver issue. We're going to pray for him. We, I was with him last night. I said, you have to have confidence that God can do this. Do you believe it? Yes, Pastor. Believe it. Don't let anything shake you. Your healing is standing on the authority of God, having said that He is the Lord your healer. Confidence, our provision, if you're going through dire straits at home, some economical lack, you have to believe that He will meet all your needs according to His riches and glory. See, the importance of confidence, our security, As a matter of fact, our final destiny to be with the Lord in heaven is depending on the confidence we have that he said we would be with him in glory. John chapter 14 will take a whole new meaning if you truly have confidence in the Lord. When he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Have confidence. He said, I want to go prepare a place for us. If it were not so, I would not have told you. But if I go, I'm coming back, and I'm going to take you with me so that where I am, you will be also. How many believe that this morning? How many believe that Jesus is true? How many believe that when he said that, we can have confidence on that statement? You see, our final destiny, our final frontier is based on the foundation of how we have confidence and trust in the Lord. It has everything to do with our relationship. But yet we treat confidence in such a flippant way. I mean, how many times, including myself, how many times that we had a difficult day, and in a moment's time you say, where's God? You're going through some kind of suppressed time in your life, a deepest moment in your life, and all of a sudden, all the tr- even though you had just finished telling somebody, oh, I trust in God, all of a sudden something comes contrary to your life, and all that trust you had flies out the window. How many know what I'm talking about? It happens. It does. It happens to all of us. Even though we know Scripture and the Scripture says in Psalm 9 and 10, those who know your name will trust in you because, O oh Lord, you did not forsake those who sought you. We have Scripture deep within us that tells us that God is faithful. Yet, we hold on to trust very, very looselessly. Having trust, ladies and gentlemen, it's like keeping your eyes on the lighthouse while you're in the middle of a raging storm. It doesn't matter how hard the winds blow, doesn't matter how high the waves crash. If you'll keep your eye on the lighthouse, it'll always lead you to shore. Isaiah 26 and 4 reads, "Trust in Jehovah forever. For in the Lord is the strength of the ages. In other words, there is a place where you and I can find safety and joy and peace. And that is on the island. That is on the platform, on the cement of confidence in God. The Lord would have us all this morning to understand this today in the deepest way. We're going through so much in our lives today. The Lord listens to bold statements that we make when you say, I have confidence in the Lord. And he gauges you and he looks at you and he says, do you really have confidence in me? And God looks at you not to judge you, but he looks because his desire is that when you do make a statement like that, you mean what you say. That you truly believe with all your heart that you have an embrace of the Father, a constant embrace of a loving Father who's always available at every moment and through every challenge you may face in your life. He wants you to get to the point where you know that no matter what, He is there holding you up. What does trust look like in our lives? And how can we build that up? Well, I want to give you just a couple of the principles this morning. If I can. How can we develop trust? Some of us are having trouble. There was a man in scripture who said, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Help me with my lack of trust. Some of us need that. Especially when we're going through dark times. It's easy. I'm not saying it's not, e- it's, it's not uh, difficult to hold on to that. Because again, we, speak, we spoke uh, just a couple of weeks ago on how uh, useful and how this awesome this world is. We live in a world of so many resources that we are sooner to go and purchase our own supply of help than to come and trust and have confidence in God. But how do we do that? How do we let God supersede all the other helps in this world? How do you get away from a psychologist and having him teach you the 12-step help program and learn how to trust in the Lord? How do you get away from the AA meetings and get away from alcoholism and trying someone to teach you how to work with alcoholism instead of having confidence in God to deliver you? How do we do that? The answers I'm going to give you this morning are very simple they may not sound very divine or revelational to anybody. But the fact of the matter is as simple as they are, they are not easily practiced. And the first principle I will give you this morning, if you want to grow your confidence in the Lord, is to know him. Wow, that was mind-blowing, wasn't it? Wow, pastor, we came to church today, so you could tell us something that's so easy. Right? Man, thanks for wasting our time. But my question to you is, do you? Do you know him? Do you? Remember, he's listening. Changes the chemistry of things, doesn't it? It's not a flippant saying anymore. It's not a little trivial principle. Well, you just got to know God. Oh, I do know God. Do you? Is that why you were growing crazy when you couldn't pay your light bill last month? Is that why you were buying your nails off when they told you that your wife was sick? Is that why you were irritated and frustrated because the answer you were expecting didn't come? Oh, but I trust in God. Think again. How do we build that trust? It's by knowing God. Moses was given a very difficult task to do in leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. He refused to go until he knew who God was. He refused to move until the glory of the Lord was revealed before him. Why? Because Moses knew that until he knew who he was, that confidence would grow in him and it would propel him towards good service. Building up our confidence in the Lord, ladies and gentlemen, some of us are just barely dangerous for hell. Some of us are just probably that big a threat to the devil right now because we know that much Bible. We know that much about God. You're not a real threat to Satan in your life simply because he knows that ignorance by majority is in us. We don't really know anything about him. Other, We know the garden story. We know the, the Noah and the ark story. We know a couple of the Charlton Heston Ten Commandments stories. We know a couple of things. That, but there's no threat for the principalities of darkness. That kind of knowledge will still keep you in a world of stress and frustration and failure. Knowing God, Moses refused to move forward until he knew who he was. Tell me who you are. And we know the story. When the Lord passed in front of him, he described himself. This is who I am. And from there, Moses was able to harvest strength for himself to move forward. Why? Because he knew now who he was representing and who he was being represented by. It makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. In the scripture, and I preached to you before, uh, years ago, months ago, whenever it was, on how we know the Holy Spirit because the Bible gives them specific names that you and I can understand. And so in the scripture, we find the word God. It's, it's in the Bible, in a lot of places, the word God. But there are specific things that you'll find about this God by the names He gives Himself for us to know Him. And I'm just going to mention just a A few. Hopefully this will intrigue you to go into your Bible and begin to learn the names of God. Because if you learn the names of God, you'll learn what he can do. And when you know what he can do, you'll be able to trust him with the things you need. Is that elementary enough? Amen. Once you know God and the things he can do, whenever you need something, you know if he can do them or not. And so you can trust in him. You see, people don't become friends, ladies and gentlemen. We have a lot of acquaintances. I I gather to say this without going off the edge here. All of us have a lot of acquaintances, but we have very few friends. That's a good place to say amen. doesn't mean you're unfriendly. It means you're smart. We have a lot of acquaintances. I have a lot of us. I have hundreds of associations, friends and acquaintances, but I have very few friends. Very few. And I'm going to tell you who becomes my friend. Those who I know. Because you see, knowing someone will do two things to you. It will teach you to stay away from them. Some of you are losing friends already. It'll teach you to stay away from them. Or it will grow your trust in them. Why didn't you call me, man? Oh, I was busy. I'd never call him. Why didn't you guys come over? Oh, yeah, we wanted to. No, you didn't. You're lying. Because you know. You know them. That's the same thing in relation to God. How will you know to get closer to God if you don't even know who he is? Did you know that Jehovah is known by Jehovah Rohi? The Lord is my shepherd. You know what a shepherd does? A shepherd feeds his sheep. He guides his sheep. He protects his sheep. He cares for his sheep. You know he is known as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord shall provide. That means he is able to give you what you need. He sees that you don't go in a time of lack, that his purpose, his supply store is always available for whatever need you have. Do you know that his name is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals? That means that he fixes your body, your mind, your soul, your emotions. He is able to tweak you into good working. Did you know that about the God that you serve? Did you know that his name is Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner? That is, he is your representative? You don't have to sound your own trumpet that God will represent you. Remember he told, us that whenever you face opposition, don't worry, the Holy Spirit will represent you. You don't have to toot your own horn. God will toot it for you. When Jesus was baptized, the Lord took off from his throne and flew down in the form of a dove. He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. How many times has God ever stepped in for us when people are accusing you of something that's not true? Someone's trying to undermine you, but all of a sudden you feel the wind from heaven come. Leave him alone. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And all of a sudden the devil's mouth is shut. Ah. <sighs> Jehovah Nisi was present. You see, when you know him by name, ladies and gentlemen, then you begin to trust him when you need something he can do. And I don't know about your God, but the God that I'm preaching to you about is a God who has no impossibilities. He is the God of impossibilities. He can do all things. But do you know him? Jehovah Shalom, he is our peace. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there, he never leaves you or walks away from you. You'll never get a busy sign when you call him on the phone. He'll never abandon you in the middle of the night while you're soaking your bed with tears because these things have gone wrong. He is there. Right there, never abandoning you. Wow. Wow. And still you say you have confidence in him flippantly. You see, God doesn't want us to just simply say we trust him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us. But the only way we're going to get to that place, ladies and gentlemen, you and I, is by getting to know what he can do, who he is. Some of us have not read the word of God in years. The only Bible some of you guys read. I'm not scolding you. I'm teaching you the truth. Anybody want the truth this morning? How many know this This is not Rock of Ages nursery? This is a place for the building of soldiers in the Lord. We are in the Lord's army. Come on. Hallelujah. You're going to have to learn how to fight for your life out here, ladies and gentlemen. Here, everybody can get along and say amen and how you doing. Outside in the world is a different story. They don't like you out there. You're going to have to learn who's fighting with you. You're going to have to learn who to trust and who not to trust out there. Discernment. And I'm telling you, The Lord is someone we could trust all the time. John 17 and 2 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. This is Jesus praying. This is eternal life, that they know you. Jeremiah uh, 9, 23 says, This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or the strong boast in their strength. Oh, I can do this. I've done this and the other. Or the rich boast in their riches. Oh, I have a good business. Oh, I have this and the other. Good for you. But let the one who boasts, boasts about this, that they have the understanding to know me. You want to know where the pride of life is? The fact, the fact that you are able to accomplish and you have 15 degrees on your wall in your office? No. That's all good. Thank God for that. Thank God for wisdom, for knowledge, for schooling. Thank God for great businesses. Thank God, thank God, thank God for the blessings. But that's not the goldest medal of all in your life. The treasure of your life is to be able to witness and testify, I know Him and He knows me. I have confidence in Him. Secondly this morning, How else can we grow our confidence? What can reveal our confidence in the Lord? It's very simple. Again, this is not very revelational or divine knowledge to you, but not easily done. So before you're quick to answer and say, amen, this is what I do, think again. Who's listening? He's listening. He's allowing him to direct your walk. direct your path, your daily walk. Proverbs 16 and 9 says, in their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. You know what that means in layman's terms? It means that you and I make our own plans, but if you want to step without sinking, it's the Lord that makes where you step hard. Can you understand that? Other than that, it's sinking sand. It's a man who plans his day. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to accomplish. I'm going to go do this and the other. And that's fine. You can make all the plans you want. But if you want God to solidify the floor you're walking on, then he has to tell you which way to go. Some of you missed that. You'll get that soon enough. If you want that flooring to solidify, you want it not to swallow you up, you want not to sink. If you want it hard, then you need to allow the Lord to lead you. Proverbs 10 and 24, a person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their way? It, it's a question. It's a challenge. How, how do any of us, uh, one of us know what's tomorrow? This is why we're told, that never say tomorrow this or the other. Say, learn to say if God wills it. Because tomorrow is not yours. It's not mine. We may not get home after this service. I may not see you again. If the Lord wills it, I'll see you next Sunday. If not, see you in glory, I pray. But how is is it possible for him to understand his own way? Jeremiah 10 and 23. Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It's not for them to direct their paths. It's not for us to make our minds which way to go. We always need to test our walk according to the Word of God and know if God wills this, is this what God wants for my life? Some of us have made the greatest mistakes in our lives because we've chosen to do things we think are right. And then we end up praying the rest of the year so God can get us out of the mud trough that we got in ourselves into. Oh, that was quiet. But you know... It's learning to trust God, to measure your steps with what God says, to learn how to depend and have confidence in him and say, Lord, you know, I don't even know we should buy that house. I don't know if we're financially ready, Lord. I feel like we are. But, but, but don't ask him if you're already saying yes, and if he says no, well, I, I, get behind me, Satan. Lord, should I, I marry him? He he seemed like a real nice guy. I like him. And the Lord sees the, the adventure you're gonna go through once you do. Young ladies, young men. It's learning how to trust in God to lead our way. Psalms 37 and 23, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him, though he may stumble. Be a little shaky sometimes. He will not fall for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Lord, Ladies and gentlemen, you and I know we live in a world of free expression, free will, personal decisions. It's all up to you. Some people foolishly say, Well, every er, er, every mind is its own world. I don't know who he must have been smoking something. I don't know what who came out with that stupid saying. Every world is, I mean every mind is his own world. Don't ever say that. You know how silly that makes you sound. Look like you, some of you older guys like me, like you smoke something. It's still not out of your system when you're in high school. Ah, every world, every, everyone has their own interpretation. You know, really spastic, absolutely spiritual. And God's looking at it going, man, you're dumb. Man, you're dumb. Look how successful you are. How can a man understand his ways? God has given us freedom and he has given us the will. We've talked about that before. But we need to understand that even that free will needs direction. Because we don't know anymore. The farthest you know right now is that very last breath you just took. Did you know that? You know how far ahead you know? Take a breath. That's it. That's all you know, man. You don't know anything else because you don't know the next breath is coming. So for us to boast and to say, well, you know, next summer we're going over here to spend two days, you know, over here in Tahiti, man. And time you know it, everybody's gathering in your honor here at. This is the gospel. This is true. This applies to me, to everybody. And so we live out our own way. But you see, God has ordained it to where we don't have to walk. It's not a shot in the dark. It's a walk in the light. And so we need direction. Why? There's a danger. Proverbs 14 and 12. There is a way that appears to be right. But in the end, it leads to death. Hmm? That's scripture. Don't argue with the messenger. That's what he said. I didn't say that. And so whenever you want to live your life and say, I can do whatever I want, go knock yourself out. But you'll be the first at the altar going like, oh, how do I get out of this mud hole? When God said, you don't have to go there. If you'll just stop for a moment and say, Lord, lead me through this. I submit. I have confidence Lord if it's true that your word says you know the plans for me plans of good and an expectant future then I can trust you with my tomorrow I can ask you Lord if can I buy that house can I buy that car can I start that business should I marry that young man should I marry that young lady should I go to the church here should I listen to this should I do that and the other ask God he will direct and you'll never stumble This is why we live in a depressed world. We live in such a world with so so much. But because we do our own thing. I want you to write this definition. Somebody needs to write this. And if you write it, I want you to remind the church every time you see them. This is such an important definition I want to give you in regards to us choosing our way. Please write this down somewhere or remember it. Good intentions are not justifications for wrongdoing. Just because you think it's right will not excuse you from doing what is wrong. You understand that? And some of us have experienced that. Hey, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, but look at where you're at now. Well, I did it because, you know, I thought it would work. I mean, I was thinking. I put a lot of thought in it. This is what I thought. Yeah, but it was wrong. You have the instructions. You've been told how to do it. I'm the last guy, ladies and gentlemen, that you want to invite over to help you put a crib together. You can ask my wife. I give you permission to do that. I'm really bad with instructions. I'll end up with a leg pointing up. and Somehow, I don't know if you guys do, but I always end up with about 30 screws left. That's just me. And you wonder why it's wobbly. It's because... But I wanted, it, it looks like it, it, it seemed right to me. I, I, where else can it go? That leg has to go there. So your intentions are good, but the outcome is horrible. And so many people are living out the frustration of having made bad mistakes simply because they refuse to trust God for the very next move. So good intentions. And I'll prove this to you in Scripture. Really quick, it's getting really late. Second Samuel chapter 6 gives an awful illustration of a man doing what he thought was right and losing his life. I'll just paraphrase for the sake of time. You can read it out of 2 Samuel chapter 6 and on. It's when David has taken the Ark of the Covenant back to the holy city. And the Bible says that these men are carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders through the golden rods that go through the golden rings on the Ark that the Lord had instructed them to do. And they're carrying it. And there is a couple of bulls or cows in front of them dragging along helping And the Bible says that along the way, one of the animals stumbled and it rocked the Ark of the Covenant. And there was a man by the name of Uzzah. The Levites were carrying the Ark of the Covenant because they were ordained to do so and only the Levites. But Uzzah was one of the party of David's men, his warriors that were there with him. And when he saw the tilting of the Ark of the Covenant, he thought it would fall. And what he did was he put his hand on it. And the indignation of God fell upon him, and he died right there and then. Now, if you keep reading the story, you'll find that David was upset. He goes like, "Lord, you killed this guy. What's going on?" He was trying to help. He didn't mean to do wrong. The ark was shaking. Oh man, what am I going to tell his wife? He was trying to help you. Now he's dead. And so he got lost in his emotion for a moment. But if you'll go back and study why that would happen, you'll find out. In the book of Exodus, when the Lord gave the detail about building the Ark of the Covenant, He had four rings specifically built on each corner of the Ark of the Covenant. He gave them the materials, the gold linings, and everything else, the wings of the the cherubim on top. Everything, He designed it perfectly. He had the rings, and He had them make two golden poles on the side by which the Levites would carry the Ark of the Covenant. But listen carefully. Those poles were not there simply to support. Those poles were there so that nobody would touch (laughs) You never put your hands on God. Try putting your hands on your father here at home. Children never put their hands on their father. You know why? Because it's their father. A big mistake in fathering today. Young boys wrestle with their fathers like they were one of their brothers or one of their friends. They punch each other out. That's a disrespect and dishonor for God. And that's the father's fault for allowing that to happen in the household. My dad was no taller than this, but I promise you I was that much taller than him. But God forbid I would ever make the mistake of putting my hands on my father in a threatening way or in any way at all. There was respect. And that's just a mortal man. Can you imagine the holiness of God? You think God needs our support? You think someone can bridle God and hold him and say, oh, you might fall, God. And so the point is that though he wanted to do something good, he still disobeyed what the plan was. You keep going a little bit more and then you'll find the next story and we'll speak about Saul. Saul again lost something very grave, very difficult for his life. When they were about to to, to anoint Saul as king over Israel, Samuel, the prophet at that time, spoke to Samuel. He said, listen, this is what's going to happen. We're about to anoint you as king over Israel, but this is what you're going to do. He said, you're going to go, there's going to be a, a, a battle that's going to ensue here. But you're going to travel down this way. You're going to find a campment of the Philistines over here on this side. And when you meet some prophets there, when you walk amongst them, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come over you. You will prophesy as they do. And that from that moment, the Lord is going to anoint you. And you will be able to lay hands on stuff and God will be with you. This is going to be a certain confirmation in you. After that, you wait for me seven days, he said. Don't you do anything else. You wait for me seven days and I will come down for where I'm going. I'm going to town for a while. And seven days I'll come back and meet with you so that you can bring the offering to me. And I will show you how to offer Offer a holocaust unto the Lord, a sacrifice unto God. Well, we have the whole story and we see that everything Samuel said did happen. He he was empowered by the Holy Spirit and all these things began to happen. But the seventh day came and the battle was there and it was a heavy battle and they were outnumbered and the army of, of Saul got a little scared. They began to scatter and so Saul didn't know what to do. He said, well, bring me the sacrifices. Let's offer unto God. That was not what he was told to do. And right as he finishes his offering unto God, thinking it was acceptable because it was the right thing to do. Samuel said they were going to do it anyway. So uh, what, how bad could that be? I'll just do it now. And Samuel got there and he said, well, hey, Saul, what's going on? He goes, uh, well, uh, we just sacrificed. And he says, really? What a foolish thing you've done. Why? Weren't you going to do this? I mean, what did I do? He said, you know. Had you obeyed, the Lord would have lengthened your kingdom forever. But because you've disobeyed, your throne will last only a short time. Now God's going to look for a man after his own heart because of this. And he lost his crown. You see, a good deed can be often the enemy of doing what is right. Doing something good can be the enemy of doing something right when it comes to God. Because if God gave us specific orders, then he's given them because he knows what those orders are. Now, we make mistakes in life all the time, and it's not going to be death, and we're not going to lose a crown, and, you know, you're not going to drop dead here because of this or the other. But we've suffered loss, you and I, because of mistakes and things that we've done thinking that we were doing the right thing. All of this happens, ladies and gentlemen, because we have no confidence in him guiding us. We've made bad business deals. We've had relationships with the wrong people. We've worked at the wrong place. We've gone to the wrong church. We fellowship with the wrong thing. We, we've done this wrong thing, and we've suffered consequences all based. You know what's, you know what Saul confessed in scripture, you'll find? Listen to what it says in the chapter in the 12th verse of 1 Samuel 13 and 12. Listen to what it says. Let me just read a little bit just to bring the context to it. This is Samuel getting there. Verse 11, 1 Samuel 13 and 11, 9-11. What have you done, asked Samuel. And Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Milkmas, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I have not sought, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. I, I haven't done anything. I, I just thought to myself, so I felt compelled, he says, to offer the burnt offerings. He said, you've done a foolish thing. It happens. This is why it's so important for us to embrace confidence, ladies and gentlemen. Us as homes, husbands and families represented here today, when you're going to do something, learn to pray as a family for direction Because the consequences may not be death or falling by the Ark of the Covenant or losing a crown. But you may suffer sufferings of some sort. It may cause friction in your family, your children, something. A loss of finances, whatever it is. This is why confidence is so important in the Lord. This is the kind of obedience the Lord wants us to have. A trusting obedience. Remember Mary and Martha? Lazarus had died. They went and found Jesus. They said, Lord, do it now. It needs immediate attention. Our brother has died. He said, No, he'll wait for him. I'll get there in time. Just, Just do what you're told. Confidence. Confidence. Thirdly, I conclude this morning stop worrying, ladies and gentlemen. Stop worrying. You know, this morning is such a blessing to me. I had several people come to me after I finished preaching this morning. And they gave me a big hug and said, "You know what, pastor? I needed that so much. I've been so worried and depressed." Hey, I know the feeling. Nothing can reveal your confidence in the Lord by you refusing to be worried about issues. Trusting in God, let me tell you this morning, it's not something we do once but it's a living, active relationship with our Heavenly Father. We are told to trust Him on a day-to-day basis. Let me give you some statistics quickly. This is important for you to know concerning stress. Chronic stress is linked to six leading causes of death, including heart disease, cancer, lung ailments, accidents, cirrhosis of the liver, and suicide, according to the American Psychological Association. Repeated or severe activation of stress hormones can increase levels of inflammation throughout the body, which can then in over time lead to damage of the heart and its arteries. Toxic stress can even damage the immune system, leading to a higher risk of infection or development of autoimmune diseases. All in stress. Why do you think the devil really enjoys stressing people out? Because it'll kill you. And worse than that, it'll take you to a place where you have no confidence in God. You can almost see the enemy telling the Lord, oh, and the Lord saying, these people trust in me. Oh, really? That's why they're biting their nails. That's why they're all exhausted. That's why they can't sleep at night. Sure, they trust in you, God. He's got us at that point where the United States and the world around is so addicted to antidepressants and all these things that you take to help your spirit and your attitude up. You have all these 12-step programs. You've got sociologists and psychologists coming out of the window work here in this world. Why? Because people want to sit down and say, I'm hurting. I'm depressed. I want to kill myself. I want to this and the other. When God has offered us the solution and the healing for all that, and that is simply, I know it does not sound like divine revelation to many of you. But it's trusting in God. When you trust in God, that's a stress reliever. And you know what's really sad about the depressed? And trust me, I've been there. After I went through everything I went, I, I, I confessed to you just a, several months ago. I told you how I was hurting deep within. For some reason, I've had all the confidence I could muster in God. But my hurt and my pain in my body and everything I still go through even today... Because of this liver transplant that I went, you're never really the same again. It it, worried, it got me to the point that I have very close friends here in the church that I was able to really share, even with tears, to tell them how horrible stress and, and, and depression can be. I cried in front of you here. I'm not ashamed. I'm very transparent with you guys. If you know me here, you'll know me there. This is who I am. But I know what it feels like. And You know what I know this about the depressed? Nobody wants to be that way. I've never met one depressed individual that said, "Man, I'm really excited about being depressed today." You know, there's nothing like depression. Oh, I mean, give me some more volume. I can't wait for some more volume. Ah, oh, I feel so great, man! Crying every night, just <laughs> can't wait for the night till I soak my bed in tears. Oh yeah, I can't wait to find a taller building I can jump from and take my life. I'm so depressed. I feel wonderful today. Wanna join me? Nobody. People who suffer depression spend their nights crying at night. People that suffer depression spend their lives apologizing to those around you. you. know, being depressed makes you an ugly person. Being stressed makes you an ugly person. When you're stressed, you're easily irritated. You say ugly things to loved ones. Children move away from their parents because their parents are always on edge. They're depressed because of bills or whatever it is. What do you want, husband and wives? Honey, what? Hey, baby. What? Hey, I'm just gonna ask you. What? You're dangerous not only in your home, but you're dangerous around at work. Don't talk to him, man. And that separates you from friends. People don't want to hang around with you because you're poisonous. They can't trust you because they don't know where you're at at that moment. Should I tell him? Don't tell him, man, because he'll love you today, hate you tomorrow. And some of us have been hexed by that. We've been possessed by that for so long. It's time to get out. God wants you to release that. your life. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to loosen that depression from your life so you can stop being an ugly individual. People won't come to Christ after they know you. Because in your depression, you've displayed an ugly God who wants to serve a God like the one you serve when you're so ugly to people. It's just that I'm depressed. It's not my fault you're depressed. What is your problem? Well, this. Don't you have a God you can trust? Stress. Nothing will reveal your confidence in God until you refuse to embrace stress any longer. I'm not going to be worried about it anymore. If you are my all-sufficient God, if you believe that that song said, "I cried to the Lord and He heard me," then you know what. Stress gets out of me now. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to trust. The apostle wrote in Philippians 4 and 4, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. When you're stressed out, you're an ugly person. There's no gentleness in you. Nobody wants to talk to you. Don't be blaming people. Nobody likes me. Sometimes you're just a plain unlikable. The Bible says that he who desires friends must prove himself friendly. Mm. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He said, be anxious for nothing. But in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Here's the promise. And the peace of God. That transcends all understanding. You'll never know how he does it. And it's not your business to know how he does it. You may remember that crippled man that the Lord said, pick up your mat and walk. He started jumping around the people and people say, hey, who did this? How he did it? He goes, I have no idea. But if you want some, find him. How is it? You can see. I have no clue how he did it. But I can see if you need some, find him. So it's not my business how God does things. My mind isn't that big to wrap my mind around how majestic are the things he is able to do. How beyond phantoming are the ideas of the Lord and how he can heal a cancer. How can he restore a broken heart. How he was able to save a man like me. I don't know. But I know I can trust him. I know I can believe him. I know that whatever I need, I can come to him. And he has the answer because he said he would. Rejoice again, I say. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer, and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jeremiah 17 and 7, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like trees planted by the water it sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. It never fails to bear fruit. I love this passage I'm about to read as I ask you to stand. I read to you as you stand this morning out of Isaiah 46. This is for somebody in this house today. Listen to me, says the Lord. You descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel. You whom I have upheld since your birth. Did you know that God has held you in his hands since you were born? And even before that, he said, I have carried you since you were born. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Here's the challenge. With whom will you compare me or count me equal to? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Ladies and gentlemen, God has no rival. Some people say the devil is his rival. The devil is not a rival to God. He's a created thing. That means God made him. And if God made him, he can crush him. Don't ever give the devil that kind of foothold. Oh, the devil coming fighting against God. He's not fighting against God. God will blow him away. He's just entertained by the drama. He's a punk. Don't ever give him that kind of glory. He has no rival. This is why he says, who can you compare me to? Give me one. Give me your best man. Give me your biggest God. Give me everything you got. Who can you liken me to? She says, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no other. And I'm here to tell you that the God that you serve wants you to have confidence in him. And in that confidence, you will find your trust and your peace, your joy. You'll find every answer you need. You'll find healing for your marriage. You'll find healing for your children. You'll find deliverance over the addictions of your life. You'll find peace of mind. You'll get off all the depressive pills that you're on. You'll stop going to see that counselor and spending all that money just trying to find deliverance from yourself. When all he says, if you're thirsty, come and drink. What do you need? Who can you compare me to? So the next time you say, My trust is in the Lord. Careful. Because he's listening. And though he's listening, he wants you to. He's not listening to criticize. I wonder how many times God listens to us say that and he says, oh, how I pray you would. God. There he goes off again saying he trusts me. Oh, how I wish he would. Oh, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, if only you had known the time of my appearing. God wants you to have confidence in him. You have knowledge of this now, and you have an option. When the Lord says to you, I can do all things... Depending on your confidence in Him, this will either mean two things. If you don't have confidence in the Lord, the fact that He said, I can, will mean nothing to you. But if you have all the confidence in the Lord and God says to you, I can, that'll mean everything to you. I choose to believe in Him. And with every promise he's made me, I can rest assured that because he spoke it, he will fulfill it. How many agree with me this morning? How many agree with me this morning? I know it's a little bit late. Please forgive me. But I feel compelled to open this altar because I believe some of you have to come and leave things here. You see, you have a choice this morning when it comes to Confidence. If you believe nothing I've said this morning, then you take all your stuff with you when you leave. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. You came in here burdened. God's giving you an answer. God spoke to your heart. You have a choice. You can take everything with you. Take it with you. Put it in your car. Fill your bags up again and carry them for the rest of your life if you want. But if you choose to have confidence in him, then you come and you leave that junk here. And walk away free knowing that you've left them in the hands of someone who cares and will take care of it for you. I choose to unload and cast my cares upon him because he loves me.